We are in week two of our <clears throat> week series through the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to be there for a minute, uh, but we are in week two. We only got through three verses last week. We're going to speed that up. Uh, Lord willing, and get through verse 11 here of Acts chapter 1 this morning. Last week we talked about that this book is called, in most of our English Bibles, the Acts of the Apostles. Really it could be called the Acts of the Church. Jesus came to begin a thing that's still moving through planet Earth. It's called the Church. The Church is not meant to be an institution. It's not meant to be an organization. It's definitely not meant to be an event that we watch from a, as a spectator. But rather, it's a movement that we belong to. It is a gathering of people around an idea and around a cause. That's this thing called the church. And so uh, I, I encourage you to grab your Bibles, if you would, this morning, or your tablet or whatever it is that you use. And for our guests today, we would invite you to join with us in our tradition. We hold this book up and say a creed about what we believe it is and a prayer together before we dive in. And so if that's where you're at in your spiritual journey, uh, we invite you to join with us in that. If you don't have a Bible today, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you today. Please uh, feel free to keep that. But we encourage you, let's hold up our Bibles and let's say it together. Even if you're at home, say this out loud with us together. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you. Turn to Acts chapter 1, if you would, please. Uh, if you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 855, Acts chapter number 1. What we're going to do is we're going to read verses 4 through 11. Um, we're going to then circle back and really park in verse number 8 for our whole time together this morning. Verse number 8 is where we left the story off, that Jesus revealed himself after the resurrection with many infallible proofs. And then verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he meant that literally, not actually many days. It says that Jesus appeared to them for 40 days. We're about to read that he then ascended. Ten days later, we have Pentecost, uh, which is getting ahead of ourselves. That's chapter 2. Verse number 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel. If you're new to the Bible or new to the New Testament, this was a constant question by the followers of Jesus because they misunderstood his purpose. They thought that the Messiah would establish a political kingdom, uh, an, an organizational kingdom, even a military kingdom, an economic kingdom. And Jesus kept explaining uh, that he was introducing a spiritual kingdom. Uh, it wasn't going to be quite as visible as maybe they hoped it to be. And so this question is a repeated question throughout uh, the, the followers of Jesus. So is that what you're going to do? Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons. So he didn't say no, because he is going to eventually establish a visible kingdom. We believe that's still coming. But not yet. It's kind of like when you tell your kids, maybe later, right? But you mean no. 
But Jesus really was saying later, <laughs> actually later, not just no. Okay. I thought that was funny. Maybe it's just me. Okay. Um, and I lost my place because <laughs> I thought it was funny. Uh, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8. But in the meantime, here's the focus. Focus on this instead. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And we believe the Bible literally actually meaning he like lifted up for real. Actually, he lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Week number two, we're, we're again building a foundation for what it means to be the church. And a few weeks ago, I had a kind of an outliney sermon, and those of you who are outliney really enjoyed that. And so we have an outline again. I borrowed part of this outline from Pastor Matt Chandler, but uh, you outlining people are going to enjoy this. We're going to focus on verse number eight, which is not just the heart of our text this morning, it's the heart of the whole book of Acts. And in some would say it's the heart of the whole age in which we live. It's the, the verse that summarizes the moment in history in which we live. The first thing I want us to see in the text is the person of the church. And this is where we ended last week, so we will spend very little time here. But give me 60 seconds. Notice that Jesus says that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, verse number 8, you will be my witnesses. And the word my is so little, we would read right past it, but I want us to start where we stopped last week and say the church is all about Jesus. It's not about our brand. It is not about our crowd. It is not about our following. It is not about building the ego of a platform guy. This thing exists by him and for him, and it's all about him. We we witness of him, not our denomination, not our history. It's all about Jesus. Otherwise, there's nothing worth talking about. <laughs> it's all about Jesus. The person of the church is Jesus. This gathering around a cause agrees that Jesus is the cause. Amen? It's all about him. What I said last week is this is called Acts of the Apostles. It could be called Acts of the Church. More appropriately, this could be called the Acts of Jesus because he's still the one doing all the action. It's all about him, by him, and for him. The person of the church is Jesus. Number two, the power of the church is the Holy Spirit. He said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The power of a church is not in knowing that we're right and everybody else is wrong. 
Now, if you talk to pastors from multiple denominations, if you get them around the table and bring up a theological topic, right, you'll think that their power is we're right and you're wrong because we disagree on this one little denominational thing. That's why we have a different church sign than you do. The power is not found actually in being correct because I think we're all going to be shocked how much of this we were off on when we actually see him face to face. At the, at the heart of this, we understand that the power lies from outside of us and only empowers us so that we can make much of Jesus. The person of the church is Jesus and the power of the church is his Holy Spirit. He's the authority. He is the power. And, and think about this. Jesus says, when we read in verse 4, wait until that power comes. J.D. Greer pointed out, he said, can you imagine how hard it had to be for them to hear the word wait? Like, Jesus, don't you know they just executed you? We're probably next. Like, the clock is literally actually ticking. There weren't actually clocks back then, so it wasn't literally ticking. I misused literally. The the time's moving. The, the sundial is, okay, I don't know. Uh, like, let's go. If it were modern context, it would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to whiteboard a strategy. We got to launch a website. What's a cool domain name that, that's available? He's alive, y'all.com. Let's see if that's available. Like, we got to get to work. We need to have a conference. We need to publish some books. We need to get a plan together. And he's like, wait. Because there's no strategy that can replace the power of the Holy Spirit of God. There's no marketing theme that produces fruit like the power of the Holy Spirit. Wait, he said. Which is so interesting because what we see is all of the life of Jesus. Again, if if you're new to the Bible, so you're reading Matthew is the life of Jesus in the New Testament. Then the Gospel of Mark is the life of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke, which is part one. He's the author of Acts too, also. Um. And the Gospel of John is the life of Jesus. And now here's Acts. And what we find out is that the life of Jesus was not just something we were supposed to admire. It's something we get to experience. The life of Jesus is not something that we watch. It's something that we get to enjoy. Like the thing that that he he actually told them, it is better for you that I go away. Because then you'll get the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? You've watched him interrupt funerals. Get up. What? Like Peter watched Jesus heal his mother-in-law. Which was, was great. Like they watched Jesus do things that that like the the Marvel universe makes like he, they actually saw it, and then he goes, "It is to your advantage that I leave." Oh Jesus, is this one of those exaggerating moments? Like meaning the spirit will be good. That that's the power of the life of the Holy Spirit that He makes available to His followers, and and here's the question. Then I'll be honest with you. It's kind of messed me up between the ears for the last several weeks. Does the way that we do church 
require the power of the Holy Spirit? Does the way that we do church in our culture actually require the power of the Holy Spirit? Or could the power of the Holy Spirit be absent and nobody would notice? We're still doing the thing. We're showing up and the graphics are up. And the, yeah, and the lights and okay, let's go home. Is church, the way we do it, dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit? Is life the way I live it? Dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Because every time we see the Spirit of God move, it's obvious. This is what Grant Partrick said. He said, we are trying to fight a spiritual fight with worldly weapons today. And so in, in, a, in a weird way, this... This book called the Acts of the Apostles could be the Acts of the Church or the Acts of Jesus or maybe the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And really, maybe the best name for it would be the Acts of the Triune God. Because it's the cause of the person of Jesus being fulfilled in the power of the Spirit for the glory and under the guidance and the plan of the Father. This is God's work. I got to keep moving if we're going to get to the end of this. So the person of the church is Jesus and the power of the church is the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the church is to be a witness of that. The purpose of the church is to be a witness to the risen Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our purpose. The purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is not actually to make us feel better. Because today I believe there is a spiritual narcissism in the American church where we want to engage with the Holy Spirit because we really enjoy the warm fuzzies. The purpose of the power of the Spirit of God is not to make you a better version of you. It's not some like glorified divine self-help program. Now, he does absolutely do all of that in us, and it's great. But he does so for his renown and for the proclamation of the saving gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. He's the purpose. It's actually not about us. The word witness is an interesting word. There's two parts of, of the definition or understanding of the word witness, and both are important. The first one is to declare, to proclaim, to speak. A lot of believers today say, I just act like a good person, and that's how I display Jesus. And nowhere in the New Testament do we see that being sufficient for being a witness. It's both living the life of Christ and speaking the goodness of his grace. It is to declare. So for instance, if I was called to testify as a witness in a trial. And I sat, I was sworn in, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth. And then I just sat there and acted like what they wanted me to say. The judge would hold me in contempt. Because I actually never gave a testimony. Right? It is to declare. And I know that sounds simple. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to give me words to speak of Jesus. 
But it is not just to declare some random thing, specifically to be a witness. We declare, we declare rather, what we have observed, learned, experienced, or known. So I actually can't witness of something that you told me about. I have to experience it. And maybe that's where we're stuck. Maybe the faith that we possess is somebody else's faith. But if we really know him, if we've really experienced his restorative grace, if we've really known what it is to be dead and now we're alive, to be blind, but now we can see, to be in bondage, but now we're free, to be without hope, and now to be filled with hope. If we know what that is, we won't be able to keep that witness inside. We'll declare it. This is the purpose of the power of God on planet earth, that Christ might be proclaimed. You'll receive power. You'll be my witnesses. That's how it works. That's what we see. So again, this is Luke writing. The Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Volumes 1 and 2 of Luke's record. And over and over again, we see Luke talk about the power of the Holy Spirit coming on a person. And the first thing, the first thing they do is speak of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1. John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit of God and he begins to proclaim the coming Messiah. In the same chapter, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaims a blessing over Mary who's carrying the Messiah. The end of Luke chapter 1, Zacharias filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaims the glory of the Christ. And then we get here to the book of Acts. You'll receive power from the Holy Spirit. You'll be a witness. Which, P.S., is exactly what we're fixing to get to in a couple weeks. Because chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. What Jesus promised happens. That's how it works with him. The promise of the Holy Spirit shows up. And the first thing they do is proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. They hear it in their own language. In Acts chapter 4, Peter stands before the rulers of the day. And it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke to them about the hope, the only hope of salvation in the name of Jesus. And when he ends up getting back home with his friends, the other followers of Jesus, you know what they do? It says they begin to pray together. They were filled with the Holy Spirit to proclaim even more boldly the gospel of Christ in the face of persecution. In Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and immediately begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus in the synagogues. Because over and over and over again, what we see is the power of Holy Spirit is not just to make our worship sound better with other believers. It's that we might proclaim the name of Jesus to a lost and dying world. It's the reason he gives us his power. One third of the book of Acts is just the record of people talking about Jesus. That's it. So our, every year, we have a theme for our global missions emphasis for that year. Every year we've had a theme. If you're new here at our church and you're like, man, I didn't come from a church background that talked a lot about uh, missions or whatever. If this is new to you, this is every year kind of our, our entrance to the next year of global emphasis. And our theme for this next year is simply this. Speak Jesus. Not feel Jesus, right? Not know Jesus. 
speak Jesus. And, and the, the graphic here, the artwork here, has the name of Jesus in many different languages behind there because we don't just want to speak Jesus in our context to the world. We want to speak the name of Jesus in the context of every culture on planet Earth. That's, that's, what, that's the reason there's a power. The person of the church is Jesus. The power of the church is the Spirit. And the purpose is to witness to that. To give testimony, to testify of that. And that's not just what we do as a church. It's what we are called to as the sons and daughters of God. This quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. um, It's a little bit lengthy. Hang with me here. But I think it gets to the heart of all this. That's what he says. If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. Is anybody else moved by that? (laughs) That's convicting. Like how many other things have replaced the preciousness of Christ on the altar of my heart? If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You'll be whispering it in your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your husband. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And not necessarily a missionary sent to the nations, but a missionary wherever we go. And listen to this. It cannot be. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. If you really know Christ, you are like one that has found honey. You will call others to taste of its sweetness. You are like a beggar who has discovered an endless supply of food. You must go tell the hungry crowd that you have found Jesus. And you are anxious that they should find him too. This is not just the call of the apostles. This is the call of all followers of Jesus. That we might speak Jesus wherever we find ourselves. That is our mission and that is our purpose. And maybe you would say, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know what I would say. Again, the author of Acts here, Luke said in Luke chapter 12, he quotes Jesus saying, do not worry about what you will say as he sends his followers out. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit will give you the words you need to say in that moment. I've watched that happen over and over and over again in my life where I've walked into a moment that I had no idea what I was supposed to say or what I was going to say. I had no clue. Like, God, I'm officially in over my head for the 10th time today. Here we go. And then I've listened to the Holy Spirit speak gospel truth over somebody. And I've been like, man, I hope somebody's taking notes because that wasn't from me. That's what he does. It's all about him. (laughs) And when we are obedient to speak Jesus... We get to be a spectator from behind our own mouth of the power of Christ at work in a hurting world. This is what he does. This is the purpose. And and let me say this too. i got to hurry up because there's still one more point. Um, What we're going to see in a couple weeks is when the Spirit finally comes, the first person who gets up and speaks Jesus is Peter. If your Bible is like mine, 
on the same page, the same open face of Acts chapter 1 on the right is the end of the Gospel of John on the left. That's how my Bible looks. Which literally records a conversation with Jesus and Peter of, hey, I know you betrayed me. Do you love me? That's who gets to preach the first spirit-filled sermon is a betrayer, a runner, a rejecter, a failure. How hopeful is that? Paul David Chip said, if it were up to me, Peter would never have gotten a second chance and Paul never would have gotten a first chance. But thank goodness it's not up to Trip; it's up to Jesus. And he's in the business of using broken people. How great is that? That's the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. That we might proclaim Jesus. Lastly, there's not just the person, there's not just the power and the purpose, there's a plan. He gives us in Acts 1-8 the plan. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's his plan. So real quick, I want to talk just a couple things about this, and we're we're narrowing the, the plane. I know we're a little bit later than normal. Thank you for hanging with me. This is not just the plan. It, it happens to be the outline. Skip Heitzig pointed that out. This is the outline for the book of Acts. This is the, the whole study that we're going to go through together this year. We'll follow this outline. Chapters 1 through 7, the gospel's moving throughout Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12, the gospel moves in Judea and Samaria. And chapter 13 through 28, we see the gospel go to the end of the earth. As a matter of fact, at the end of the book of Acts, the gospel has reached Rome, which is the economic powerhouse of the world at that time. It's the entertainment powerhouse of the world at the time. It's the military powerhouse at the world at the time. It's a glimpse of us. Because here's the deal. To the end of the earth meant the gospel came to our neighborhood. Thank goodness he didn't just say Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Thank goodness it came the whole way over here to us. People talk all the time about how Christianity is this Western religion. And let me just clearly explain this morning. We're the end of the earth. This didn't come from here. We were one of the last places the gospel showed up. This is the Middle Eastern religion that we believe needs proclaimed all around the world. We're not trying to Westernize other cultures by proclaiming Jesus. This is not a Western religion. Thank goodness it came to the end of the earth. And so I want to talk quickly. So some people talk about is Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. Is that meant to be like a picture or is that literal places? And the answer is yes. That is both literal places and is a picture of how we're supposed to live out the gospel. Because Jerusalem, I believe, means Two things. We proclaim the gospel in our home and in our community. Because to these followers of Jesus, when he said, be a witness in Jerusalem, they knew that meant in my house first. That I speak Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to those I have the most influence over and my kids. That we speak Jesus at home. And then we speak Jesus in the marketplace and to our neighbors and to those that our camel gets water with. Okay, we don't do camels. Okay. That we are doing life in our community, speaking Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
intentionally, out loud, declaring what we've experienced. Judea and Samaria would be kind of what we would call this region of the world. It would be our nation. It would be the southeast, maybe. It would be this region. And when Jesus said, proclaim the gospel in Jerusalem and in Judea, I don't think anybody raised an eyebrow. But then he said, take the gospel to Samaria. And they're like, okay, you've you've hung out with Samaritans a good bit already. I thought we were done with that. Don't you know the racial and political tension between us and the Samaritans? And the answer to that question is yes, he did know. Because he was saying, speak Jesus at home and speak Jesus with people that you think disagree with you or don't like you. That we lovingly live and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with every person that we have the privilege of encountering. And and this was at a time in society, if you remember this, we talked about it during our Advent series. People lived an entire lifetime and never traveled more than 30 miles. Some of you drive that to work every day. We're constantly with people who are different than us. We live in this mobile day where we're constantly crossing cultures and economic barriers and education barriers. It's a glorious thing. We live in such a unique time of history. What an incredible opportunity to speak the name of Jesus. And to the end of the earth. And for some of us, he might be calling us to the end of the earth just to get a glimpse of that. What we call short-term missions. Going on a missions trip. To get a glimpse of what ministry looks like outside of our dynamic, outside of our culture. And for some that means, no, I'm calling you to step out in faith like Jenny did 11 years ago and go to a whole different way of life to speak Jesus to kids who otherwise would never hear his name. And if he's not called us to go to the ends of the earth, he absolutely has called us to send. And so when we partner with men and women like this, we get to walk backwards in our calling to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and stand in obedience to the call of God. The name of Jesus is being proclaimed in our homes, in our city, in our nation, and in our world for the glory of God. And this text ends... With them watching Jesus ascend. Where did he go? We talked about it in the fall. First heaven. So he could prepare the new heaven and the new earth, right? I'm sure you all remember every word of that. They're watching Jesus ascend. And the text does not tell us this. And it's really important not to read things into the Bible. But I'll bet their mouths were hanging open. Because if I watched a person levitate on a cloud, I'm just telling you, I wouldn't go... I'd be going, right? And in a weird way, that's kind of a beautiful picture for how I think we're supposed to live life. Okay. If you walk up today, you go somewhere to lunch. You walk up to the restaurant and there's a whole crowd standing outside of the restaurant going, well, today, nowadays it would be, Because, you know, we got to post it later. What would you do? Be honest. You would walk over and go, what are they looking at? 
Right? And what if that's what he's calling us to do in Jerusalem? And in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Go live in such a way that people want to know what it is that you see that's so enraptured your heart. What has captured your attention? What have you experienced? Let me speak Jesus. And these men appear and they're like, hey, he's gone. What are you looking at? It's time to go. Right? I love how that text ends. Dude's like, hey, he's gone. You know, they had to be like, he said he was coming back. Does he mean like in a second, like he just forgot his keys? Like, what does this mean? And these two dudes, dazzling, whatever, they're like, he's gone. You can close your mouth and get to work. I'll close with this story. Uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, our varsity basketball team here had a basketball tournament. And um, when I was a freshman in high school, uh, I had the privilege of making the varsity team which meant I got to play whenever we were losing really bad or winning really big. Basically, when it was no longer competitive, I got to get in the game. And I say that to say, uh, our middle son, Ethan, is a freshman, and he's on the varsity team. And when we have a really large lead or not, sometimes he gets to play, right? And so this first game of the tournament, we had a really large lead. And so he and some of the other freshmen got put in the game at the end. And the coach had said, here's the deal. We're going to stall. We don't want to give them the ball back. We're not trying to run the score up. And we don't want to have a turnover. So essentially the way a stall works is you're passing the ball and you're cutting and whatever. And it's kind of like keep away, but in a nice way. And the... The boys go out on the court and four of the boys clearly heard their coach say, we're going to run a stall offense. My son apparently did not hear the coach say that. And in his mind, he's like, what are y'all doing? The clock's still ticking. And so as soon as the ball came for him, he put his head down and drove straight to the basket and shot. And his coach is like, dude, what are you doing? We're stalling. He's like, I didn't know. There's still game time. And I feel like those two dazzling people show up at the end of this text. And they're doing the opposite message to us today. Hey, we're not stalling. Let's go. It's still game time. There's still a world full of Zeke's. Who need to experience the love of God in a tangible way. Let's go. What are we waiting on? Why are we worried about ourselves? And the amazing thing that's happened during the pandemic is naturally, through distancing, we've become incredibly self-focused. We've, we've become incredibly inward-focused. And may it not be lost on us today, there's still a hurting world, both next door and across the ocean that needs the same thing. They need to hear the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. What role is he calling you to play in being a witness to that person in that power today?